Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you here on yet another lovely evening. Isn't the, the sunshine so encouraging? Put it like that. Um, and certainly our, our spirits are uplifted by it. And we hope that as we, we meet together this evening that God indeed will uplift us all. These past few evenings we've been considering together Psalm 19. And we've been considering this great question, is this it? Is this all that there is? Is what we can see, hear, taste, smell, touch, is that all that there is? Or is there something more? Before we come to finish the psalm, complete the last few verses this evening, I want to read the psalm and then we'll say a short prayer just whenever we're in, while you're keeping your seats. So if you have your, your, there should be sheets of paper about with psalm, the psalm written on it if you um, want to follow along. If you can't see one, don't worry, um, but you should have a sight of the psalm. And I should actually just say who I am. I'm Peter Dundee. I'm, I, so, so many people, I've said this so often over recent weeks, it's kind of almost like I should have a recording and just say, listen to this. Um, but I am Peter Dundee. I just recently graduated from the, the Reformed Theological College and I'm on placement to work in the church here in Clock Mills for six months. So I've seen some of you before. And I would like to see you all certainly again. But we turn to the word of God and to Psalm 19. God's word says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for, his son, for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the comb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless 
and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let us pray. Our Father, we have heard from your word that your voice is within and from creation, that it speaks of you, that it points to you. We know that your word, the Bible, speaks of you. And we know that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the very image of you, the one to whom we look, who is our example and our guide. We pray, Father, this evening as we come to consider your word that you would settle our hearts and our minds, that we would hear your voice, that we would know and understand what you are saying to us, and that what we hear and what we respond to is your truth. And, Father, may we come to know that truth, love that truth, and live that truth. So be with us now, Father. May we be attentive hearers and may we be willing hearts to obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) What is wrong with the world? How would you explain what the world is like? Why is it that you turn on the television set or open your newspaper, or follow your news feed on Facebook or whatever you would do? Why is it that it is full of conflict, trial, trouble, problems? What is wrong with the world? Why is there such trouble and strife on a worldwide scale? On a countrywide scale, on a community scale, on a town or village scale, right down into the very family itself. Why is there so much trouble and strife? We all know that peace and love is the way to go. We all know that peace and love are what we should follow, what we should seek and what we should do. So why is it? that we can't do it? Why is it that we're unable to follow that pathway to love and to peace? Why is it that love and peace are two things that are noticeably absent? We're considering the question, is this it? Do we need to put up with the trouble? Do we need to put up with the strife? Do we need only to long for love and for peace? Or is there some way to achieve that goal? We've been looking at this psalm over these past two nights, as I've said, and we've we've looked at the voice of God in creation, how creation points towards God. 
And I challenge any of you to go outside there this evening, to look at the sun in the sky, to look at the bright blueness or the depth of the blueness of the sky and the expanse of that sky as the stars come out, as the moon rises and say there is no God. There is something above us. There is something transcendent. We've also considered the voice of God as as it has come in his word, in his laws. And we can look at those laws just as as almost a maker's instruction. If we want to find peace, if we want to find love, there is how to find it within the word of God. So why is it we can't pay attention to it? Why is it that we can't follow it? Why is it we can't do what it says? Well, the psalmist has the answer to that. And he says in verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Who can understand what's going on? Who can understand the reasons and sort those reasons out? Who can grasp it? Who can understand his errors? And what can he or she do about it? This is a challenging question to us all. But it gets right to the heart of this question here. Is this it? And the answer declares quite clearly, emphatically, no. We're going to look at three things just very quickly. Three ways in which the the psalmist answers this question. What's going on? Who can understand his errors? And what's he to do about it? Point one. The reason... For the situation. The reason for the situation. I'm going to use a word now that is very unpopular. But it's a word that is the only answer that can be given. Why is the world like it is? The simple answer to that question is quite simply. It is like what it is. Because of sin. Because of the reality of sin. And I don't want you to think simply of sin as somebody doing bad things or the bad things that you do. Sin is something that goes right to the heart of humanity. It goes right into our very beings, into our very souls. And it prevents us doing what we should be doing. It prevents us from following God's law and walking in the way that God wants us to walk. Here is a man who has considered the glory of God. He's looked at creation and thought, that is just simply astounding. Wow! He's thought about God's word and he's seen the sweetness of that. He's described it like honey. Honey in the honeycomb that's overflowing. It's something that's good. Why is it that these things cannot be appreciated? Why is it they can't be fully followed and obeyed? He does something that we all must do. He turns and he looks at himself. 
And he places himself before God's creation. He places himself up against the standard of God's word. And he sees, I'm far off the mark. I'm nowhere close. And so he says, who can discern his errors? Who can understand these secret faults? Notice how he uses this phrase, let them not have dominion over me. What does that word dominion mean? It means something that has rule over, something that has control over, something that exercises control over him himself. These errors, these mistakes that he makes, these sins that he commits, they actually hold him. They control him. He's not free. He's not able to make choices. One of the greatest stains on Western civilization must be that trade in slaves that carried on up to the middle of of the 19th century. Of men going from here, these shores, to Africa. Of taking men, women, children from their villages by force, putting them onto boats, beating them down, even, even to the point of their death, carrying them over to America and the West Indies, and then selling them. We look back at that at those times and we think that is a horrendous thing to do. That's wrong. And it's good that it's come to an end. And we think of those men and women in chains. We think of them being enslaved and forced to do things that they do not choose to do. And we rightly say it's wrong. But whenever we come to think about what The psalmist is talking about here. Put into your mind the thought of those who are enslaved to sin. Those who are under this dominion of sin. They're like those slaves that are chained. That are held. They're unable to move. They're unable to do anything on their own without reference to the sin. We like to say that we're free. Freedom is a key theme and we hear about it day and daily. Be who you are. No matter your birth circumstances, you can reach beyond them. You can be whatever you want. Just dream. No matter your gender, you can choose how you want to be. How you want to be defined. No matter your education, we can all be rocket rocket scientists or, or brain surgeons or something. Yes, some people may be able to be the rocket scientist. If you saw me last Saturday at that science day, you would know I'm not one of those people. Or some people can be brain surgeons, but everybody can't. We don't have that choice. We're not open to make free choices about ourselves as a false promise. Here the psalmist is recognizing his own inability. He's held by the dominion of sin. He's enslaved by it. He's not free to move. He's not free 
to, to make those choices. And as he is chained, so each one of us is chained. Here's something I want you to consider. Whenever we mention sin, all sorts of thoughts might be piling into your minds and you're wondering what's going on. Here's a phrase that we need to understand before we go on. Someone describes his sinful condition like this. I am not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. Our sinfulness is not the result of our sin. It's part of that. So I don't go and commit a sin and that makes me a sinner. No, I commit that sin because I'm a sinner. Because I'm unable to follow God's law. Because I'm unable to appreciate God's law. That makes me a sinner. And so I break God's law. So the sinner produces the sin. But being the sinner comes first. It's a condition that we are in. And that's our enslavement. That's the chains that surround us. And that's something we need to understand. And that's the reason why the world is in the state that it is. Because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. And we interact together as sinful people. And so there is conflict. And so there is strife. And so the problems of the world come pouring out. There was a headline in a a paper that I saw a while back and it simply said that's a sin and it showed a picture of a woman who had got a cat I hope this doesn't offend any cat lovers that are listening but she'd got a cat and this cat had been pestering her in her garden and had had used her garden as a toilet and so on and she was fed up with it and she finally caught the cat And she took the cat and she opened her wheelie bin. And she dropped the cat in the wheelie bin and closed the the lid. And this was caught on CCTV. And it went viral on the internet. And here was this woman who was defined as a sinner because she dropped the, the, the cat into the bin. You may be used to saying, or you would have at least heard people saying, that's a sin. It's not a specific sin. There is no law within God's law that says, do not drop cats into wheelie bins. But you only do that because you're a sinner, because of that condition to begin with, that you're angry, that you're annoyed, you want this situation dealt with. So it doesn't matter what you harm, it doesn't matter what you take, that is the reality of sin. And that's the only explanation of the hatred, nastiness and downright untruthfulness that we are all so familiar with. In our lives and in the world in which we live. So that's the reason for the situation. Secondly, the result of the situation. 
So he has said, the psalmist has said, I'm this sinner, I'm this great sinner. And then he asks himself these questions. Who can understand his errors? Who can understand his cleanse me of secret faults? Keep me back from presumptuous sins. He looks at what he does. He looks at his life and he sees there is the result of my sinfulness. There is the result of the dominion, that which holds me. I make mistakes. I make errors. I have these hidden faults. I know about these presumptuous sins. But what does he mean by this? Well, if we think about this idea of of errors or mistakes or hidden faults. We all know what it is to make a mistake. We all know what it is to be doing something and our hand slips and we think, oh, what did I do that for? In this he means the way in which he has slipped up. He means the way in which he has missed the mark. He's missed the target in some way. He's looked at God's creation. He's looked at God's word. He knows the standard that he has to match. And he knows that he has missed it in some way. In something that he's done, perhaps, his intentions may have been good. But things haven't worked out the way he planned. Things haven't happened the way he thought they should have happened. And he's thought after the event, why did I do that? Have you ever spoken a word that you wished you hadn't said? Have you ever spoken to someone in a way that you know you shouldn't have spoken, but it just happened in the moment? You didn't mean any harm by it. You didn't mean to cause offence. You didn't mean to do anything that, 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 that could offend anybody. But it happened. That's the sort of thing that he's talking about here. Those, those errors, those slip-ups, those, those hidden faults that, that come from a lack of understanding. Whenever he talks about them being hidden or secret, he's not talking about something that's done that nobody else sees or that's held in secret. He's talking about those personal faults, those character flaws that we know we have, that results in us doing things or speaking things, and we think, why did I do that? He recognizes that he needs to change. He recognizes that he needs something to happen in order to follow God's laws. What can he do about it? What can any one of us do about it? The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. He's made anew. The character changes. That background that causes us to respond and react in a particular way. That is changed in this new creation. The old has passed away, as Paul says. Behold, the new has come. 
And so we don't have to be enslaved in this sinful position. We don't have to be caught in this cycle of hidden errors where we, we don't think before we speak or whenever we do speak we say something that we'd rather not say. In Christ we are a new creation. We become new from the inside out. And so these hidden faults are no longer what rule us, what drive us on. Is that what you need to be this evening? Made anew, created anew, so that your very character is moulded into the likeness of how God would have you be. So that those moments of offence, so that those, those throwaway comments that cause hurt, you no longer have to make those. You're changed. And that change can only come in and through Christ. But he goes on and doesn't just talk about these hidden, these errors, these secret faults. Notice how he talks also about something else, about presumptuous sins. This is something that is very serious. Presumptuous sins. This is the situation where we decide within ourselves and we act in a particular way even though we know it's wrong. We know we shouldn't do that. We know that we shouldn't say that. We know that we shouldn't look at that. But we do. We know these things are wrong, but that doesn't prevent us. We go on ahead anyway. The understanding is there. The understanding that it's wrong is there. But the will to do the right thing is absent. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever been in the position of thinking, I know this is wrong. I hope I don't get caught out but I'll do it anyway. That's the presumptuous sin that the the psalmist is talking about here. It's deliberate, deliberate. It's flagrant. It's the obvious form of sinning. We all know that stealing is wrong. We won't go into the tuck shop later and we won't pick up a packet of sweets and put it in our pocket, would we? Or perhaps you might think, oh, it's not really worth much. Nobody will lose anything if I take that. And it goes into your pocket. That's stealing. Or perhaps as you go and get on a train and you see the conductor down one end of the train and you think here, if I get on that carriage, I won't have to pay the fare. Presumptuous sin. It's stealing. Of course you wouldn't come and and beat me up and take my phone. Of course you wouldn't break into my house and burgle it. Of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't steal. Ah, but see at work. Nobody's looking. I'll just take 15 minutes of a wee nap. It's stealing. It's a presumptuous sin. It's what the psalmist is talking about here. You know that speaking untruthfully about someone 
Israel. And you certainly wouldn't stand up against somebody else in this room and you wouldn't tell a lie directly to their face. But you hear a wee snippet of conversation. You have a little bit of information. And you think, here, wait till everybody hears this. And before long you have it typed out in your phone and you have it sent round the world. You know it's not true. But it's a good story. Sure, what harm does it do? It's a presumptuous sin. It's wrong. You know it's wrong. But you do it anyway. You may think, well, sure the 21st century is a different place. God can't really mean that sexual expression is between one man, one woman, within marriage for life. This is the 21st century after all. Do whatever you want. doesn't matter. It's a presumptuous sin. And it's these presumptuous sins that hold the psalmist in their dominion. He knows they're there. He knows that he cannot keep the law of God because he's sinful by nature. And because he's sinful by nature, then he follows that through with action. And he knows that he stands condemned by God. In Romans 1, we read this. Here Paul is just talking about the world. He says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That was written 2,000 years ago. Is there anything there that does not apply to today? That does not explain the world as we see it? And it can be explained quite simply by the truth that man does not recognize God, man does not follow God's law, Man does not believe that he is accountable before God. That's the reason for the situation. The result of the situation. The third thing, and quickly, is this. The response to the situation. The response. It's understandable to look at the world and to think, what can I do? This is an horrendous situation. This is an awful situation. The world's just gone down the pan. What can we do about it? How can we escape this? And that's an understandable response. But it's not the response that the psalmist is talking about here. He responds in a different way. He stops looking inward. And saying, I can't do anything about this. I'm lost. But rather, he looks 
outwards and he looks upward to God. He wants to be blameless. He wants to be clean. He wants to be innocent. He wants to be washed of all this filth that is within him and around him. He doesn't want to bear that burden anymore. He doesn't want to carry it anymore. So what does he do? He comes to God and he asks God. And this is the only response, the only reasonable, rational response that there can be. He prays for cleansing. He prays for restraint. Don't let me be under this dominion anymore, God. Don't let me be held by this. I want to be free. I want to be innocent. I want to be clean. And here's the good news. We've done an awful lot of talking about sin. But here is the good news. Things don't have to be the way they are. In the world, in your life, things don't have to be the way they are. In 1 John 1, 9, we read this. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And listen to this. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every single solitary piece, bit, stain, washed clean, gone. That's what God does for us in Christ. If we come and confess our sins, Jesus has said that those who come to him, he will accept, he will hear, and he will forgive. He is faithful to that promise, and he will forgive your sins. And it's only in that sense that you will know cleansing, that you will know washing, that you will know freedom from the enslavement and the dominion of sin. This is where God is faithful and God is gracious. What we can't do for ourselves, God has done for us in Christ. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to suffer that pain and anguish? Why did he have to shed his blood? Because that was the means whereby this cleansing, this washing, this freedom from the dominion of sin could come about. This is not something that you can just walk away from. This is not something that you can just step back and say, oh, that was very nice. I'll just forget about it now. Because if you are in that position where you're struggling with those inward faults and you're struggling with your presumptuous sins then this is the only way out of the problem but look at this description of God he describes God as his rock and here you've got the image of one of those cliff faces that you see on the north coast a rocky cliff 
And the psalmist understands that rocky cliff is providing a foundation for him upon which he stands. So that it doesn't matter what is thrown at him. doesn't matter what the storm, how hard the storm is. He will not be moved from there. And indeed that rocky cliff is his protection too. He's safe hiding in its shelter. So God brings him to this place of safety where he has been under the dominion of sin and he suffered greatly in that way. He comes to this rock. He's firm. He's secure. He's safe. And it doesn't matter what happens in the storm. That's the source of peace. That's the promise that God gives to those who come to him. But not only is God his rock, he is also his redeemer. The one who has paid the price. Think of it like this. If you're walking with a heavy burden, and that burden is too heavy for you to carry, and every single bone, sinew, and muscle in your body is suffering under the strain, And somebody comes along and says, here, let me take that for you. You're not going to say, no, I think I'll just keep it on myself. I'll just carry it all on my own. Sure, this is how it is. Whenever the psalmist is talking about God being the Redeemer here, he's talking about God taking as his own in Christ, the burden that he has been carrying. That burden of guilt, that burden of blame, that burden of great transgression. It's taken by God, it's carried by God, and he is free. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that a reality that you would like to take hold of? Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The world may be as it is, We may not be able to do anything about the world. But what you can do is to do something about yourself this evening. A burden that you're carrying. Come to Christ. Lay that burden down. Christ has borne it on the cross. Lay it down. And you will know freedom like you have never known and can never know before. And then your prayer can be like the psalmist as he says. And this is a beautiful words here that he says. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Don't despair about the state of the world. Don't despair about your own life. There is hope. Hope in Christ. Come to Christ. Let us pray.
Our Father, we know that as the whole world sits under the sun and nothing is hidden from its heat, so too as we sit in your presence now, nothing is hidden before you. You see our thoughts. You see our inward hearts. And, O Father, we ask that our prayer of each one of us may be let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. We ask, Father, that you would give us understanding of what we have been considering. But more than understanding, give us the grace to act upon it so that each one of us will know that freedom and that peace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.